Well, it's officially the all-star break for the Detroit Tigers. I guess it's the all-star break for everybody. And I just want to take a step back and really talk about the first half of the season, talk about what to expect in the second half, what's gone right in the first half, what's gone wrong. Just a mid-season checkpoint based on what we expected going into the year. All today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Thank you so much for making Locked On Tigers your first listen. Every single day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team, every day. All righty. Well, the Detroit Tigers are not playing baseball today. I'm recording this on Wednesday night. They obviously don't play on Wednesday. You're listening to this on Thursday. They don't play on Thursday either. They will play on Friday, so we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming uh, after that. But I, I just wanted to, you know, inherently, we are very... We've gotten a lot more reactionary just as a society with how fast we get information now. But um, baseball is a daily sport and this is a daily show. So I feel like sometimes we can get kind of lost in the like very reactionary takes and opinions and whatnot. In baseball, you can't be that reactionary. You can't. You have to be able to take a step back, look big picture, because it's just impossible to build a sustained product if you're too reactionary because it's such a long season, right? So I I just, I really want to take advantage of these next couple of days and the rest of this week and really talk about where this team stands at the halfway mark in the season. What were our expectations going in compared to what's happened? Uh, Is, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about like, is is it a success or not? Uh, Just, you know, what to expect in the second half of the season, I just, I really think it's important to just, you know, we get very lost in the like, oh, today was a win. Today was a loss. This went well. This went bad. I just, we need to talk about big picture, like in general concepts for the rest of this week. Cause I think that that's important to kind of remind ourselves of where we're at. Cause that's really what's important at the end of the day in a season like this, where they were never going to be competitive. Right. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about is a question from a commenter, I want to say about a week ago, about a week ago. And they had asked, is the first half of this season a success? And in my brain, I didn't know how to answer. So I still am not really sure I do, which is going to make for some interesting, you know, radio here. But it's, it's not a failure. I'll start with that. It, it's it's not. It, it's not even really close to a failure. Like a, a failure for this team in the first half, given like where expectations were at, is would have been like, oh my goodness, we have nothing to build around. Like Riley Green it, it didn't take any steps forward. He's not doing very well. Uh, like all the young players are struggling. We might not have a single asset and we need to completely blow it up and enter like actually full on, start from scratch, rebuild completely from the ground up again. So that hasn't happened. So it's not a failure. And even if you don't want to be that dramatic about it, most people expected this team to be around 
69 to 71 win total, right? I was called the optimist, like the the homer for saying like 73 or 74 wins, which is still like well under 500. You feel me? So like no one expected this team to be very competitive or really good. And we're about on pace for that kind of lower win total, right? That high 60s, low 70s win total. That's still super obtainable given where they're at right now. 11 games under 500 at the break. So I think that it is just, again, like it's important to kind of take a step back and and just kind of remember where we're at. But in, in general, like we're about on par for what most people expected, generally speaking. This team isn't really significantly better or worse than what most people thought. That being said, I, as a competitive person by nature, have pretty much an impossible time saying that a team that is 11 games under 500 is a successful first half. I can't do it. I can't. I, I'm, I'm far too competitive for that, just in, in my own head. Maybe I'm too hard-headed, uh, but at the end of the day, like you're playing to win and this isn't like fantasy baseball. This isn't, you know, whatever. And and we can talk about the players that we're going to get for the future. And we're super excited for all those players, obviously. And they're going to help us build a sustained product. I know where the team is at. I fully comprehend that. Okay. I just have a, if this team was 10 games on over 500 and that was the expectation then I'd probably be like, yeah, it's probably a pretty successful season so far. They're doing what we want, what we wanted them to, and what we wanted them to do is compete. But like the Oakland A's, I, I, I don't call what the Oakland A's have been in the first half a success, and everyone knew they were going to be awful. They're living up to expectations. That's not a successful first half, right? Maybe I'm just salty because they just beat us. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, I don't know. As, as like a competitor, I have a hard time just being like, oh yeah, like, Successful first half, 39 and 50, like that just feels weird to me. So I'm not going to call it a success, but it's far from a failure. And I know where this team is currently at. And they are about what we expected them to be, which I I don't think is a bad thing at all. Let's talk about two of the most frustrating parts of this season. One is consistency. This team is unbelievably inconsistent on the offensive side of the ball. And that drives me up a wall. And I know it does for y'all too. But last year's team was bad all the time they were consistently bad so like consistent doesn't always have a positive connotation it's not always good to be consistent if it's a negative thing you're being consistent about right so last year's team was consistently one of the worst offenses I've ever seen in my life this year's team is inconsistent which is frustrating as all heck because they will go put up runs and kind of rock Spencer Strider, who's one of the best young pitchers in baseball, and they'll get out to an early lead against Kevin Gausman. And except there's honestly, there's a plethora of examples. Like they've done that against some pretty darn good pitchers this year. But then they'll get absolutely diced against some pitchers that you haven't heard of in a long time or never heard of period that are kind of 4A caliber, six and a half, seven ERA, haven't won a single game all year. I could go, the list goes on. They have taken their lumps against just 4A caliber pitchers. And so it's all about approach. And that's the thing, like, that is a baby step in the right direction. I know it's a frustrating one, but it's needed. Approach 
the best teams in the league don't change their approach dramatically based on who they're facing. The Atlanta Braves approach works against everyone, whether it's the best pitcher in baseball or the worst starting pitcher on a major league roster. It works against all of them. And that's why they're incredible. They're not like, you know, obviously, you know, they're changing. They know what the pit they're doing, their homework. They know what the opposing pitcher is throwing and whatnot. But when it comes to their general approach and identity at the plate, it doesn't change. And I feel like the Tigers are at this weird spot where they don't have the talent to pull that off. They just objectively don't. So they have to change, they have to change their approach dramatically almost some nights based on who they're going up against. And sometimes it pays off and they're able to to take it to really good pitchers. And sometimes they get absolutely embarrassed against pitchers that are struggling. And so I'm just looking for a little bit more consistency in the second half. Okay. I'll talk about another thing that has been very, very frustrating in the first half. And I think will kind of dwindle and go away in the second half, especially after the trade deadline. We'll do that right after I tell y'all about our friends over at Sleeper. If you want the chance to win more money, you need to go to Sleeper immediately. Look, if you had to Sleeper right now, they you can win up to 100 times your money on just two or more fantasy baseball picks. Like, for instance, I, I they don't play baseball today, but if you're looking ahead at the weekend, like Otani's first game back on the mound. You can go do a more or less type of thing with a Sleeper daily fantasy games and and so you can go sleep you know oh time said sleeper you can go otani more strikeouts you can go vlad you you can you know maybe the the home run derby is what he needed to kind of get a jolt in his back and he's gonna have a, a big second half a jolt in his bat not his back and he's gonna have a big second half well you can take the more on vlad and, and hit total or home run or whatnot so it's a really interesting and really honestly unique and fun way they do things. I've been using Sleeper just for like my fantasy leagues for a long while. And so it's cool to see them kind of dive into the daily side of things as well. Uh, and again, you can win 100 times your money on daily fantasy baseball now with Sleeper. Uh, 100 times payout if you pick up to eight pick contests. It is truly the best. You can use promo code LOCKDOWN. You'll get a what, up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. All right, everybody. Welcome back here. Segment two of Locked on Tigers. I appreciate you all for tuning in. Shout out to the everydayers that do tune in every day. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to start our trade deadline discussion. I know we're still a few weeks out, but uh, those weeks are going to come by quick when we're playing baseball every single day. So I, I just want to get out ahead of it. And, you know, that 99% of trades happen from after all-star break before trade deadline. So uh, I want to kind of start the conversation of what we can expect from the Tigers in this trade season. We'll get to that tomorrow. First, though, let's continue this halfway point in the season check-in. The other thing that I think really threw people off was just that the division was so bad. I feel like the Oakland series wouldn't have stung as much. And just in general, people wouldn't be holding on to hope that this team can be more than what we thought they were going to be going into the season. If anybody from this division like actually showed up this season. And that hasn't happened, right? The leader in the division at the all-star break is like 500. The Tigers are 11 games under 500 and are what, like five and a half or six games out of first. It's embarrassing. 
it's embarrassing and it's dreadful for the division, the entire division. But I, I feel like that did not harm, but like that, that had a effect on the mindset of this fan base of like the, Oh, like, look, the tigers are competitive. Look at that. It's more than we expected this year. They're competitive. They're competitive because the division's awful, not because they're good. And those are two very different things. If they were in any other division and had been playing the exact same baseball, it'd be a much different mindset throughout the fan base. So that's another thing that I, I, it's been frustrating for me to deal with in my own head to, to kind of like relay that y'all know that I have never been on the train that like this team is going to like make a playoff run or anything. Um, Like it's, it's just, it's been tough. It's, it's weird to say that like, Oh, you know, the Tigers being closer to the playoffs than we thought is tough, but like just given the situation, it's been really frustrating to be honest with you. So the, yeah, that, that's been a frustrating thing for me. Let's talk about pros and cons. What's gone right for the team in the first half? What's gone wrong? I want to start with a con because I guess you can call this winners and losers, so we're not calling things cons. But uh, I, I want to start with something that has been a negative in the first half, and that's been production out of third base. Now, some of you longtime listeners are – like doing like the the evil ha 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 he's finally gonna admit it on air i can't wait for this i've been waiting for this for you know eight months now um because jamer candelario has been great right and and he has an 815 ops which i'm pretty sure would be the best on your team riley green probably has a better ops now that he's healthy and back so that that i guess counts but like a week ago that would have been the highest ops in the tigers lineup so i completely understand that and my mindset isn't as much one year to one year. It's more big picture with Jamer. I love Jamer Candelario. Genuinely. He is one of my favorite Tigers to ever put on an old English D. I love that dude, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I separate one year from, from big picture, like I just said. And it is objectively true, right? I will admit it right here. The Tigers have gotten no production out of third. Nick Maton obviously struggled so mightily. He went down to triple A. And then it's outside of him. It's been like McKinstry sometimes. Jonathan Scope, DFA'd. Like the two guys who maybe have played the most games at third base at the halfway point in the season, neither are on the team right now because of their performance. So like I totally concede that Jamer Candelaria would have been a welcome addition to the ball club this year. And um, he he certainly would have been significantly better than anything we've trotted out at third base. That's absolutely true. And if you're talking about one year to one year, they, you know, if $2 million, like the rumor was, really stepped in the way between what we've had at third base versus what Jamer asked for. I mean, that's that's a negative, objectively a negative. But in the same breath, I still, even given all this, don't wake up every morning and go, oh my goodness, the Tigers completely hosed themselves in this rebuild because they didn't bring back Jamer Candelario. They, they, they have, they're, they're never going to forgive themselves for it. Uh, it's going to bite them forever, and they're never going to find anyone to play third, and they can't replace that production. And You know what I mean? Like it, it's, just, it's one of those things where big picture-wise, like he's pushing 30 at this point. Like I, I'm not – I'm still just not losing sleep over like the concept of, okay, the Tigers team that's competitive next doesn't have Jamie Candelario as its third baseman. I don't think that it like needed to be. I I don't think that the rebuild is completely off course and like ruined because we didn't bring back Jamer. That's my point. 
obviously in 2023 he has been like a hundredfold any production we have gotten out of third base but it's also the first half of year one of him away from the team let's see what he continues to do we'll forever root for that dude would love for him to just put up an 815 or better ops for the remainder of his career that'd be fantastic he deserves it um so that was one let's talk about some pros i think and and we're not going to we're going to stray away from like individual because we'll talk about individual players kind of later. Um, but just like general things, pros and con another, well, the first pro, I guess rather is the back end of this bullpen, I think is a pro. Now I know Alex Lang has taken his lumps. He had a really rough June, but going into this season, we said this bullpen might be rough, right? Like a week in to the season. I was like, I, I maybe I let Scott Harris off the hook way too easily. This bullpen's gonna suck. And they haven't been incredible, but they've been more than serviceable. And the biggest reason for that is A, when Alex Lang is on, he's on and he's very good. But B, and the two other biggest reasons why this bullpen has been good. Well, the pitching coaching staff is is probably one of the biggest reasons. Fetter, Nieves, and Lund are phenomenal at their jobs. Um, but the two biggest reasons are Jason Foley and Tyler Holton have been lethal. Both probably deserve to be all-stars legitimately. And so the back end of this bullpen being pretty safe. Again, Alex Lang will, will take his licks and we'll talk about him later. But like having, uh, after trading away or letting walk all of your bullpen from last year, going into this season and still having a competent bullpen product, I think is very respectable. So that's been a pro for me. Con, this was supposed to be the year of the audition. And I know I don't, we, need to, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole too much because I just went on a huge rant about it after we lost game two to Oakland last week. But this was supposed to be earmarking young at-bats for young players. Earmarking at-bats for, he didn't say prospects, he did say young players. Um, Jonathan Scope just got DFA'd last week. Does that sound like a team that in the first half was earmarking at-bats for young players? Andy Abanya is getting a lot of at-bats. Not going to be a part of the future of this team, right? Not a young player that even has any chance of being on this team long-term. Like the, the and, and it, there's a laundry list of those guys. Like Zach Short is not exactly the youngest dude in the world. Like he's, and I love Shorty and I love what he's given the team this year, but like you objectively have not done that. You, the only players you've really earmarked at bats for that are young are the people you got in the Soto trade and then Green and Torkelson. That's like kind of it. So, oh, Kerry Carpenter, but even then, you're not letting him hit against half of the, not half, you're not letting him hit against lefties. So like the, the the concept of this was supposed to be the year of the audition. This was supposed to be like this good feel it out year where we can kind of get a grasp of who's going to be here long-term. They've let some players fail and they've earmarked some at-bats for some players, but they also haven't given other player young players even an opportunity to really have, ear, have at-bats earmarked for them. And that's been frustrating to me. Pros will finish up uh, on the other side of this break. But first, I want to tell you all about our friends over at Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs, the best in the business. I love my Bird Dog shorts. Uh, they're shorts that look good. They feel good. They have stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg to give you a truly sculpted look. 
they're also like the thing that's crazy to me about them is that they're so versatile. Like not only are they, they the most comfortable shorts on the planet, but I wear them to they're my favorite golf shorts. I wear them to the lake. I've worn them swimming. I've worn them to like grad parties. I've worn them lounging around my house. I've worn them to like nice outdoor events. Like I, it's, it, it's miraculous to me how they fit pretty much every single social setting while being incredibly comfortable. And again, they can get wet. You can keep them obviously dry, whatever. They're just the best. They're my favorite pair of shorts. They're probably like borderline my favorite article of clothing, just period in my entire wardrobe. Okay. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB and enter promo code locked on MLB for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on MLB or promo code locked on MLB for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Third and final segment of Locked on Tigers. I appreciate you all for tuning in, as always. So uh, talking about some pros and cons, again, we're going to stay away from from individual players until the end of the show here. But just talking about, like, concepts, we talked about the bullpen a little bit. They have been very frustrating at times, admittedly, and they have made some really, really bad plays. But in general, I think the defense has been solid this season. I don't think it's the best defense in baseball. I think a lot of it has to do with positioning, to be honest with you. I think this coaching staff is just really good. But this team's DRS and these this this team's outs above average are pretty respectable so far. And that's another thing that I can at least appreciate, albeit with some really dumb decisions by some defenders at times. Cons. I don't want to say that this has been a con but it certainly hasn't been a big pro either. And you kind of have to split the bill on it. The Gregory Soto trade, where do we stand on that in July? I was pro that trade and I was pro that trade, even as maybe the only person that still loved Gregory Soto in this fan base. He was one of my favorite players on the team. I, I very much am a Gregory Soto fan. Um, and even I was pro that deal. It clearly to this point has been a tale of two sides. Matt Veerling has been really solid, about a 280 average, an OPS of over league average. Um, he has been a plus defender when he's at the corners in the outfield. And he's one of the fastest players in the game of baseball. He's going to be around for a while. Is he going to be a starting corner outfielder for a playoff team. We'll see. But his floor at this point is like a really, really effective fourth outfielder, and that's needed. And his ceiling can still be an everyday starter, I believe. So we love what we've gotten out of Matt Veerling, obviously. Nick Maton, clearly the exact opposite. Uh, struggled so mightily that he got sent down to AAA. Legitimately just has had zero ability to hit non-fastballs and then got so much in his head at one point there from June until he got sent down where then he wasn't even really hitting fastballs. He was just really not hitting anything. Um, and so I, I still think it's early. Like I'm not trying to sell you that Nick Maton is, is ever going to turn it around and be like a perennial all-star or anything. Um, but I let's see what adjustments he's made in Toledo. Let's see what he comes back in the second half looking like, but objectively in the first half has been, uh, has not lived up to what we expected out of him. So it's kind of weird, the Soto trade. I still 
I don't know if I lean pro, but I don't really lean con either. I guess that's kind of a cop out. Uh, but I, I still am in favor of trading Gregory Soto. And I still don't think his market was like super, super crazy. And I think this is around at the time, like around as good as you could have done. Maybe you could, I mean, like obviously personnel could have changed. You could have got better players, I'm sure. But I don't know. I, I, I still am in favor of that deal at the time. And let's just see how the second half kind of plays out. Okay. Dominating the strike zone has been obviously the biggest thing about team identity uh, when it comes to the Scott Harris era. And this team has taken some steps in the right direction in that uh, area on both sides of the ball. The, the coolest stat to me so far this season has been on the pitching side. The Tigers have walked the third fewest batters in the entire game of baseball. Their entire pitching staff, bullpen, starters, everybody who's taken the bump for the Tigers this entire year, at the halfway point of the season, at the All-Star break, we have walked the third fewest amount of batters. I think that's a massive win. That's a, that's a really, really great sign. On the offensive side of the ball, if you want to look at just like how many walks the Tigers have, um, they're lower half of the league. They're not at the bottom. They're certainly not at the top. They're in the bottom half of the league, but they are kind of middle of the pack. And given how, again, dreadful this baseball team was offensively last year, I'll gladly count a middle of the pack walk total as a step in the right direction. I will. Now, the flip side to the offense is the power is still pretty dreadful. And that was a problem last year, and it's a problem this year. They have the second worst slugging percentage in the entire game of baseball. And the frustrating part of that is that they're actually hitting the ball hard. When you look at hard hit rate, team by team, they have, I believe, the eighth highest. Yeah, the eighth highest hard hit rate in the game of baseball. And they don't have an alarmingly high ground ball rate. The thing is, they hit a boatload of fly balls that end up just being like cans of corn, right? You can have a fly ball that goes 390 feet to center field in Comerica. It's not even close to the warning track. It's not At no point was it ever going to be anything else than a fly out, and you hit it 100 miles an hour off the bat, right? And it's just a routine, lazy fly ball. That's what this team is kind of obsessed with. They love it. It's like their favorite thing to do is the, the routine fly ball out and the Detroit Tigers is a, is a beautiful relationship that has been formed. And it's, it's in my head, it's toxic. I think they need to end it. I would much rather have some line drives. I, that's the biggest thing for me in the second half. Let's see if we can get a, a more of a line drive rate. But they're not grounding out a boatload, at least like not an alarming rate. Um, it's just they hit so many routine fly balls. Their fly ball rate is one of the five, I want to say, highest, five or six highest in the game of baseball. Um, so that is kind of where I stand. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, six highest. So that's something to keep an eye out for in the second half. And, and so there's again, pros and cons to all of this. Clearly they're 11 games under 500. Nothing. They're not firing on all cylinders. Exactly. There's still a lot to kind of that that's needed to take steps forward. But when talking about the dominating the strike zone aspect of this team and the steps that they have taken to do that, I think it's safe to say that they've taken steps in the right direction there. And that's pretty exciting. The fact that the identity that this team wants to form over the coming years is already starting to take shape two and a half, three months into Scott Harris's tenure. 
as far as playing baseball games go. So we'll take that. Second half outlook. I want to see at-bats for young players. Okay? I need it. I need... Now, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow when we talk about the trade deadline thing. I think, and I hope I'm right, I think that after the trade deadline, we're going to see kind of a flurry of moves there. And I think we're going to, roster moves, that is. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of those players called up after July 31st. So I'm looking forward to that and I'm hoping for that. Um, But that will at least calm me down a little bit on my passion for bringing some of these dudes up. Parker Meadows, I think, should have been in the majors three weeks ago. Okay? And I'm not trying to rush people, and I totally understand the concept of development. We've had this conversation before. um, But he can continue to get better at the major leagues. And I am expecting and hoping that that is actually going to happen. And those earmarks, earmarks, those earmarked at-bats that we were told was going to happen is actually going to happen in the second half of the season. So that's something to keep an eye out for. But really, as far as like performance goes, um, just keep trying to get the walk rates higher, the strikeout rates lower. This team still strikes out a decent amount at the plate. Um, And then on on the pitching side of things, continue to not walk people. Uh, This pitching staff gets a lot of ground balls, which is nice. They also get a boatload of fly balls. Playing to your park, very important. Something we talked about when Scott Harris first came in uh, and when they changed the dimensions of the stadium and whatnot. You want to play to your park. And so this, this pitching staff, they found a recipe for success. They don't walk people. And they let you fly out in Comerica. And it's worked like a charm. I, I have very little bad things to say about the pitching staff other than we have a lot of injuries. I think that's been an objective success in the first half of the season. So looking for that to keep the ball rolling there in the second half. The offensive side of the ball is really the big one, something that a lot of people will pay attention to. I'll be really happy if by the end of the year we're getting some ABs for some prospects. We're seeing some steps forward taken by Torkelson, I know. Um, and uh, Javi Baez, I, the first half has been so weird. I don't even really want to go down this rabbit hole, but I feel like I kind of have to. He's been great defensively. Fantastic. Like literally one of the best defensive players in the entire game of baseball at a premier defensive position at shortstop. Stellar, right? The thing about Javi is not that he chases pitches. It's really not. And I know that you're like, what? That's the worst part. Yeah, I get it. It is the worst part. But that's not what this is about. This isn't about Javi chasing pitches. This isn't about Javi going and and swinging up sliders that are in a different area code. Like that. That's not what this is about. This is about where on earth did the power go? That's what this is about. If... If you ever expected him to not swing at balls in the other batter's box and strike out a boatload and never walk, that's on you because that's he's in his 30s now at this point. And like that's what he has always been. Right? Is he 20? He's 30, right? I think he's exactly 30. That's what he's always been. He's never not been that. Okay. So, like, if you expect it differently, that's your own fault. The frustrating part is that it was always justifiable because you were getting great defense and you were getting power. 
He's given you the great defense, but offensively, he offers you basically nothing. Because instead of the old player he was, which was, I'm going to look really stupid sometimes and strike out at really bad pitches sometimes and whatnot, but I'm also going to have a slug that's going to some seasons at my best approach or be at 600. I'm going to have a slug of over 500. We can view it that way. I'm going to have a slug over 500. That's my floor. So you can talk and laugh at me about how, you know, my OBP is going to be like barely over 300 because I don't walk ever and I strike out a boatload. But I'm going to have an OPS well over league average. It's going to be in the 800s because I'm going to crush mistakes and I'm going to have a ton of power. And my slugging percentage and my ISO are going to be one of the best in baseball when compared to other shortstops. And we have just not gotten that whatsoever. Now we have a guy that strikes out a boatload and doesn't walk ever. And sometimes he hits bloop singles. Or like seeing eye grounders that get through the infield. And that's why his OPS is in the 500s at the all-star break. So like you can keep getting mad about the swinging miss stuff. That That's not going anywhere. But this dude was almost a seven-win player while still swinging at all those pitches and having an awful chase rate and Kang all the time. Because he crushed the baseball when it was in the strike zone. And he just doesn't do that anymore. And I don't know what happened. Um, as far as other individual players, Torkelson's obviously a hot topic. Somebody that we're going to all keep our eye on. Um, I, I, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, Spencer Torkelson, you got to call him a failure. Um, I, so I don't, and the reason for, I don't call him a success so far this season, but like the the reason I don't is because of where the team is at. I'm going to lean on the side of patience when it comes to a former one, one pick. That's one of the best college hitters. Like anyone had ever seen at one point, um, when the team isn't competitive, If, if this team was truly fighting for a playoff spot, I'd be like, get this dude out of the lineup. Right. At points. Right. I'd be like this, you know, when he went four for 50 or whatever at one point in June, like get this dude out of the lineup because we're trying to win ball games here, but we're not, we haven't been all year. We've recalled Tyler Nevin, like three separate times. We're not trying to win ball games. Okay. So like Jared Kalanick took two years to figure it out. And then he, he figured it out and, and turned into a pretty darn good hitter. Right. Like the, not Development is not linear. Like we will, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. He also had basically zero like minor league time. Cause he got rushed through and everything in the COVID season. I'm not trying to make excuses for the dude. He should be better. He hasn't been what objectively has not been anywhere close to what we will asked of him. Not, not very far from making excuses from him, but I'm not calling it a failure just because like, let's just see what he continues to do. Let's keep rolling him out there. What, what, what else are you going to do? You want to just give up on him and just roll out like Tyler Nevin at first base? Like, no, you don't. Like, I, if you say that, you're, you're like, that's not true. So let's just see what we got and see see what he does the rest of the way. Um, he's going to be the first baseman next year too, probably, unless he has like the worst second half in the history of baseball. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much where I stand. I think that's everything I wanted to cover. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. If you're next listen, check out the Locked On MLB podcast. Great show over there. Sully does a great job. We'll be back tomorrow recapping. Not recapping. I'm so used to saying that. We'll be back tomorrow 
talking about the trade deadline. Trade season is officially upon us post-All-Star break, pre-trade deadline. Almost all the trades in the league happen in that window, and the Tigers are poised to make a few. So uh, second half of the season, let's get some young kids some at-bats. We're not going to be competitive. This team's not going to make the playoffs. Uh, and let's continue just seeing growth and development out of the players we do have. And as far as the first half goes, on brand is about as, as good of a thing as I can say about it. All right. Peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope. I'll catch you all tomorrow, baby. Go Tigers.